ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I was still at uni. It took me about 10 years to finish law school. This is Stephanie Costi, who's now a lawyer. But when she was studying law, she felt pretty envious of others in her life. And all of my friends had started their careers and I felt like I was being left behind. They all had their careers and they were all climbing the corporate ladder and I was still at university. And I think the envy started where, you know, I thought that I needed to be on this specific timeline. And I think it kept me awake at night because it made me feel like I was just existing and not really succeeding at anything. It made me feel really alone. And the irony is, it's the most natural emotion. So a colleague gets promoted, a friend lands their dream job. You feel happy for them, but also a pang of pain. What is that? Is that envy? Sometimes it can feel like you're not good enough and it tampers with your self-esteem. It makes you a bit hypervigilant. And I just feel like envy kind of stunted my growth and it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong and in this episode of This Working Life, we're tackling envy, why we feel it at work and how we can use it for good, even when it feels uncomfortable. How we react to this feeling can be the key in unlocking its power. We're going to learn exactly how to do that shortly. But first, I want you to meet someone. Hi, my name is Yochi Cohen-Harash. I'm a professor of organizational psychology at Baruch College and the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. I'm also an executive coach. And I, as a researcher, I study emotions, among others, envy. What is envy? Good question. Envy is an emotion. And like any other emotion, it's a reaction to something that happens in the environment that is perceived to be relevant. In the case of envy, this something that happens in the environment is something that we don't want, it's unpleasant, it's something that says that we are inferior on something that is important to us. So basically, envy is a message that tells us, okay, you need to do better somewhere. There is somebody else who is doing much better than you on this thing that is very important for you. Now deal with it. How does it differ from jealousy then? Well, Excellent question, especially that we just submitted today a paper on jealousy. So envy is about uh, wanting to have what somebody else has and we don't have. Jealousy is about having something and being afraid that somebody else is going to take it away from us. So the prototypical case for jealousy would be the romantic case. Right, so we we have a mate, and then comes a third party and threatens to break this relationship. This is when people experience jealousy. Another example would be kids uh, with siblings. Right, another sibling arrives, and then the the family's attention is no longer only on on you. How does envy play out at work then? It can play out in many ways. So uh, envy is envy. And then it sends the message and 
people now need to decide how to cope with it. So they can be, the goal of the person who is envious is basically to reduce or eliminate this gap from the comparison other, right? And there are two ways to do that. You can elevate yourself up to their level, or you can bring them down to your level. And of course, you can act on both ways simultaneously. So we have a wide range of uh, things to do. And if we can't do either way, we can also deal with it cognitively change the way we perceive the situation, say, oh, this is not really important to me, and things like that, as long as we feel better because the feeling of envy is really, really unpleasant and, uh, and people really suffer when, when, they, when they experience it because first it's unpleasant and second it says that they are inferior. So it can play depending on the person on how they react to it. Well, um, in Australia, we have something called the tall poppy syndrome. And so what this means is that we shun the spotlight because, I think, well, because of envy, because if people envy us, then they will try and pull us down. And that's very un-Australian to put yourself up on that pedestal. So we kind of do this naturally. I'm wondering, is there an antidote rather than sort of being mediocre because you don't want to sort of shine. What is the antidote? Let's start with when you feel like others may be feeling envy, what do you do to counteract that? Excellent question. What you can do, and, and uh, among the in very early writing on envy in the modern times was really the tall poppy syndrome. In different cultures, people are doing different things to avoid being envied. Uh, and in many cultures, we're calling it a fearing the evil eye, which would be a reaction of somebody who envies you, they will open an evil eye. That exist in many in many cultures in organizations you can see there are several ways to prevent envy for example encapsulation so managers will be at one part of the organization so employees cannot see how well they're doing they will not see their cars they will not see they will you know they will eat at different quarters just to prevent this ability to compare because envy is always a result of comparison with something somebody else but i think that a, a, when somebody envies you you know that they feel bad and what you can do is help them feel better by sharing. So people who are successful can brag about it and can boast about it and can make uh, envious people even angrier at them or they can be nicer and they can share and they can be modest. And similar Envious people can actually take the envied person as a role model and try to learn from them and see, okay, how did they get there? What did they do? Maybe I can do that. So let's flip it then and let's go to your story again. So 25, 30 years ago, you were a graduate student (laughs) and you felt envy. Yeah. Please share that story so that we can learn how we might deal with our own feelings of envy. 
So, um, yeah, I was a graduate student and uh, there are several students and there are few advisors and you always want to work with somebody and uh, you want them to want to work with you. But sometimes they prefer somebody else. And that is very painful uh, because, first of all, it means that you're not as good as you think you are. Somebody else is better than you. Otherwise, why would a professor choose to work with somebody else? And then you realize that that will give an advantage to this other person. That's another level of it. And it seems to be unfair. Yeah. And it drives you nuts. And this is what it did to me. But I, I decided that my goals are more important f- from that. And I just continued to do what I needed to do to be successful. And I succeeded. I graduated. That other person didn't. So, <laughs> but, but, but there was nothing that I could do to harm that other student or nothing that I would do because it's like everybody's built differently. But even if I wanted, there was nothing that I could do to harm her. She had her own thing, I had mine, and anything that I would do would immediately be suspicious and will play negative on me, correct? So I basically, you know, pushed through it and I worked hard and I proved myself and that was it. It sounds like we have a choice. So when we feel these natural emotions of envy, we have a choice to either, as you say, try and take down the other person. And it might even be a side comment or, you know, spreading gossip. That's one choice. The other choice is that we can use it, it sounds, as a motivator somehow. Exactly. Exactly. And this is how I look at envy. I look at envy as a motivator. Now, motivation can be to do different things. It can be you can have a motivation to take the other person down and you can have a motivation to bring yourself up, right? These are, both of them are motivations. But I think that uh, the best way to look at it is, okay, if they can do it, I can do it also. What is that that they're doing that I can do better? And if I can't get what they can in that particular place, maybe I can do it somewhere else. And so the power is paying attention to the feelings because you mentioned that that the emotion is kind of yucky. It's not like we love this emotion and maybe we want to get rid of it somehow. But if we pay attention to it, maybe it's a superpower. Absolutely. And the thing is that most people don't do that because they deny, even to themselves, that they're envious. Okay? So they take this information and instead of doing something with it, they say that it's not fair or they blame the other person or they blame a third party, but they don't do anything with themselves. If people would own their envy... This is the first step to work with it and to succeed. And what I can do to make things better for me. And it will be better for me if I'm going up, not if if I bring them down. It won't really improve me. I certainly have experienced envy at work myself. That's Prina Shah. She's a consultant in Perth. 
and I specialize in individual human behavior change at the executive and leadership level. So I've had over 20 years of experience of working in the corporate arena. And one story I have in relation to having envy in the workplace is when I had the best ideas. I always used to go to the executive, you know, you read the best books, you hear the best podcasts, you learn from the best. And I used to share my ideas with the executive. And Because they were so risk averse, their response to me always was, oh, we should hold back. We should seek a consultant's advice to do this. And I used to think, damn it, what about my advice? Anyhow, we used to have the consultant come in and consultors, and often it was the case that they would be recommending pretty much the same kind of stuff that I was recommending. I saw more and more and more me becoming more resentful towards the executive who were my main clients and with the consultants who I was working in partnership with because I wanted to be there. There was a lot of frustration. So there was a bit of, I guess, self-loathing as well that happens because of the fact that there's this need that has not been met. And I really had to have a big conversation with myself about why I was feeling envious because it's one of the seven deadly sins and it's not a good feeling to have. So with envy, I really needed to understand what it was in relation to me that was lacking, that was making me feel resentful and envious. And therefore I had to make the change. And that actually was my catalyst to become my own boss in the end. I had to do a lot of work in addressing my own envy and why I had envy there. Have you ever met anyone who's immune or does not feel envy? No. I met many people who said that they never experienced envy, but they know so many people around them and I must go to their organization to talk about envy and to study envy, but no, they never experienced it. That's a very a very common uh, reaction. <laughs> Again, very few people actually own the emotion and say, yes, I'm envious. And it might be because in several cultures, envy is considered to be a sin and nobody wants to be a sinner. And uh, it has a very negative reputation. Envy doesn't have a good reputation. It's always like people, when people hear about envy, they always consider harming the other person. They very seldom consider the fact that you can also bring yourself up. But the minute that you look at it as eliminating this gap, it's very clear that it can go in either direction. Do you have a practice or a ritual or something that can be helpful when we are feeling the first instances of envy? Try to figure out what's going on. What are you feeling? What is really going on? Be honest with yourself. And I remember as a kid, that was something that my mother always told me. When I was envious of people in my class, she told me, yes, but you have something that they don't have. You have this and this and this that they don't have. And that was always helpful because then I realized that things are not, we are not only one thing, right? We have many, many different things that we can compare ourselves to people. And we can, first of all, realize that, yeah, it's not that somebody else is absolutely better than us on every given thing. Something got to give. And that was a, an, an initial thing to think about. But then, okay, like, how can I use this information that the emotion sends me? And all emotions send an information, whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, they all send information. 
And you don't want to ignore this information. I'm reflecting on how I react. And often if I feel envy, then I say, well, it's kind of an unfair comparison because I'm comparing my whole complex, neurotic, internal feelings with someone's projected exterior. And their projected exterior is kind of polished, isn't it? It looks really good from the outside. And so I just kind of make that point to myself and I think, okay, let's leave that behind. But what I don't do is sit in that reflection and actually ask myself what is truly going on here. So that second part. So when we're doing the work on the deeper work (laughs) on the what is really going on here, what is the best way to create a strategy or an intention coming out of that work? Like let's say I've I've sort of discovered actually maybe there's something in here that I, I do want. What do we do then? Mm, we're trying to achieve it. So what I'll answer you now is my opinion. There is no real research about it to support it, but this is my understanding of things. And I think that the minute you are willing to say, okay, I'm envious. And then you open for yourself a whole world of reactions. And, okay, what do I need to do to achieve it? And assuming that I don't want to do it, I don't want to go to school, I don't want to work 20 hours a day, I don't want to do all these things, then, first of all, it's not so important. Let's start there. Immediately reduces my envy. But maybe I can do other things in which I will excel and I love And, you know, that will make me feel much better about myself. So I think that if we are not willing to put the effort into something, then probably it's not so important. And then envy will subside. And if there is something that we absolutely cannot do anything about or that it takes a long time to do something about, find the silver lining, find the good things in you. All of us have them. You were talking about Polish, and it, you immediately remind me about all the research that we have now about envy in social media, right? Because people post on social media only the beautiful thing, mostly only the beautiful things. But we all know better than that, yet we fall into this trap. Huh, another trip there. Another, another there. Uh-uh, now she's in Greece. Oh, on a yacht. Okay, what am I to do? <laughs> but we have to remember that it's not all bright to nobody and it's not all dark to nobody. So we want to, once we realize what's going on, we can discuss with ourselves, okay, how much I really want it? What am I willing to do about it? And if I'm not doing much about it, if I'm not willing to invest much in it, maybe it's not so important and maybe I need to find myself something else. Of course, that can also be a reaction because I don't, I no longer believe in myself. And this is a research that we are doing now about uh, boosting people's self-confidence and see how it influences their reactions to envy and we are still in the middle of the, of the project. But uh, another to thing to remember is that we are talking psychology. And in psychology, there is never one answer that fits everybody. It's all about the context. It's all very complex because we are complex. And the situations that we are living in are complex. So 
things really depend on so many different things. And so it's each with, to its own situation. And what can happen when envy manifests in a negative way at work? Oh, it can be a disaster. People can sabotage each other's work, not share information or share wrong information. This is one thing. They can, they can try to make a person leave their position. For some people, for some personalities, the way they handle it is to take the other person down. And in many respects, it's like, it's like you're not taking responsibility for your life. You are blaming the other because they are doing something better. But of course, they don't think about it that way. And by the way, in many uh, situations, organizations create envy nearly deliberately. Think about the employee of the, employee of the month. Mm. What is that supposed to mean? <laughs> like think, think about you working hard and then somebody else gets the employee of the month. Oh. Unpleasant, right? doesn't necessarily mean that you will appreciate that employee of the month. What are other examples? I feel like this is very useful. What are other examples of unintentionally creating a toxic envy environment? Well, when organisations, you know, bonus systems probably have something fair in them because if you do more, you get more. But some things are inevitable, like in a promotion, you have one spot. You have three people who fight for it. They're not necessarily too different from each other. You need to make a decision. So what can you do about it? Maybe you can promote one, but give something to the other two to make sure that they know that you appreciate them and that it will, it will happen in the future. Talk to them, not avoid it, you know, like even as managers, we find it very difficult to handle th- such difficult conversations as we call them. But once we realize what we are doing and we can predict how other people will feel, I think that this is part of our role as managers to try to ease the situation on the on the person that is left behind. Let's say I'm a manager and a leader and I want to encourage an environment where there is no toxic envy, what might I do? You give your people the feeling that there is enough for everybody, that it's not only zero-sum game, but you can, as a manager, you can have several people that you're working with and you appreciate each and every one of them and one is not at the expense of the other, that if you give something to one person, you recognize it, and if possible, give something else to the other person, but you leave it open. You talk about emotions. In many organizations, there is a culture of emotions as something that you leave at the door. But this is, of course, nonsense. Nobody can leave their emotions at the door, and you don't want them to leave their emotions at the door. My late mentor and friend and colleague, Sigal Barsaid, she always used to say, emotions are data. They're not noise, they're data. And there used to be a time in the cognitive period in the history of psychology in which people were considered to be rational and emotion were noise. Now we give much more room for emotions, but you know, it's, it's a process. 
thanks to my guests, to producer Zoe Ferguson and to sound engineer Brendan O'Neill. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. Next episode, I sit down with ABC journalist and author Lee Sales. I would dream, it was a bad dream, it was like a tsunami. And it, it would, the circumstances would always be different, but it always involved a tsunami. And so sometimes I'd be standing at a beach somewhere and I'd see the water suck out, which is the first sign of a tsunami, and then this huge wave, like just a horrible, mm. overwhelming kind of dream. And then the day after I left 7.30, I had this dream and for the first time ever, I dreamt I was surfing. It was the ocean and I was surfing. I wasn't in it being buffeted around or scared of it. It was amazing. So That is actually phenomenal. I know. That's next time on This Working Life. To make sure you don't miss it, hit the heart button on the ABC Listen app to follow the podcast. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.